You're listening to Youth Ministry Maverick, a podcast about mold-breaking methods to invest in the next generation of the church. Here's your host, Jeff Harding. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff. Welcome back to Youth Ministry Maverick. You're listening to Episode 5, Running on Empty. I think I can speak for everyone when I say that our patience with technology and being confined to only interacting with others through technology has us running on empty. Uh, We are burned out, you might say, with Zoom, Facebook, uh, and other online mediums. However, in a grander sense, Burnout is a term that I think many of us in ministry are becoming more and more familiar with. That is because over the last five to ten years, more people are burning out in ministry. Uh, As soon as they enter ministry, they seem to quickly exit ministry. And most of the people who exit are at minimum exhausted and at the most frustrated, angry, and not wanting anything to do with not just ministry, but the church. So what exactly has been going on? Uh, Is it just that ministry all of a sudden got harder? Um, Is it just that it's changing too much? I think a lot of it has to do with ignoring signs and also ignoring basic things that we need to do to recharge, to take care of our own health and our own faith because we are wired for pouring into others and being worried about their faith, their lives. But just like uh, the airline attendants tell you to put on your own oxygen mask before you help others. Uh, We need to be putting on that mask ourselves uh, in order to make sure that we are in a good place to be used by God in our ministry contexts. Today's guest is Pastor Scott Savage. Scott pastors a church in Northern Arizona. He is a good friend. I've known him since college where he became a mentor of mine. Uh, He has written some resources on these and other topics, and he has certainly had some experience himself with cynicism and burnout. And since I think it affects many of us in ministry today, I hope uh, this conversation can benefit you and perhaps help you see some of those signs in your own life. So, let's welcome Scott to the podcast. Scott, welcome to the podcast, man. Glad you could join me today. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Super excited about this conversation. I've been looking forward to it. For sure, man. Same here. Uh, So, Scott, for those who don't know you, uh, can you give us a quick overview of who you are, where you are at, and what you're up to these days? So, I'm a pastor and a writer, and I my calling kind of follows that same that same order. I pastor a church here in Prescott, Arizona, Cornerstone Church. We're a church of somewhere between 700 and 1,000 people, and I'm the lead pastor in that uh, church. Been here about four years. Uh, 
Uh, I also am a writer and I write regularly on my website and to my email list. I also do some freelance writing. I've written frequently for Relevant Magazine, as well as some other online publications, mostly in the Christian space. And right now I am a weekly contributor for airone.com, airone radio. Very cool, man. Very cool. Um, well, as I mentioned in the intro, uh, we'll be talking about cynicism and burnout on today's episode. Uh, as youth leaders, we're always looking for fresh content and creative ways to engage our students. Uh, when I first met Scott, part of that creativity was growing our hair out to uh, ghastly lengths. Ghastly <laughs> um, lengths. Oh my gosh. Uh, so uh, while we're trying to engage students well, even if we have the best content and the most creative methods and our students seem very enthusiastic and on board with what we're doing, uh, all of that can still put us on a track toward a state of mental, emotional, and spiritual exhaustion. Uh, I didn't mention physical because, well, if you're the one who signed up for lock-ins, camp cabins at 2 a.m. filled with hyper junior hires and getting pelted with dodgeballs, that's on you. Uh, but in all seriousness, uh, this reality of cynicism and burnout is something that's not on a lot of our radars. And as I mentioned especially not when we think things are going well. So Scott, can you tell us uh, when you experienced these things and how you were affected by them? Yeah, I went into ministry with uh, an idealistic view, I think, of many things. I'm the son of a pastor. My dad's been the pastor of the same church in Las Vegas, Nevada for almost 40 years. And I got an up close and personal view of ministry from that time. My dad is not a perfect man, a perfect husband, father, or pastor, but he doesn't run from a fight. And I saw him confront things and address things to the best of his ability. So I kind of went into ministry with that expectation. Uh, also, uh, I, I think I went into ministry kind of already anticipating the toll it might take when I was... 14 years old, my dad had a stalker and a woman began stalking him, calling our home multiple times a day, waiting for him in the parking lot, watching him. It wasn't all the way to law and order stuff, but it was pretty creepy. And that went on for about 18 months. And wow, at 15, I, uh, I told a youth leader of mine who asked me if I was going to become a pastor with my dad. I said, it'll be a cold day in hell when I'm a pastor. <laughs> so 20 years later, I'm laughing. Everyone else is laughing, but I meant it. And so it was several years of, of lots of camps and disciple nows and retreats and books and conversations with mentors for me to open up to this calling. So I think kind of even in the back of my head, I knew that there was going to be a, a price to pay on some level for going through this. And, and so when I finished up serving in a campus ministry in college and then went on staff with the church, I went in expecting an imperfect situation, but I, I think I also expected some things to be addressed and dealt with in healthier ways than they were. And so I, I spent 10 years on staff at this uh, particular church. Uh, there were some incredible things about that experience. I wouldn't be here where I am today, you know, without it, but it was in that context that I began to deal with cynicism 
because I lost my idealism through that church. And um, I, I realized that things were broken and they weren't being addressed. I realized there were conversations that just weren't being had because they were too uncomfortable. I realized that there were people who were held up as kind of bastions of spiritual maturity. And yet there were huge um, red flags, you know, to them. And so I, I struggled with that hypocrisy. And, um, and so I, I really became cynical in that time. And it was also during that time uh, that I went through, I think, a, a mini phase of burnout in seminary. Uh, I went through seminary in three years at a pretty rapid clip. And I think I started flirting with seminary, with the burnout then, but I held it off for a couple years. Um, but it was about three years after I graduated that I went full on into burnout. And, and that's kind of the before and after of my ministry life. There was before I went through burnout and the me that was that guy. And then now there's the me now. Yeah. Wow, man. That's powerful. Um, and I guess uh, for a while now, it's been a cold day in hell. So thank you for your <laughs> contribution to ministry. And um, yeah, uh, you, you know, um, I think this uh, this topic uh, could stretch 10 podcast episodes. And I'm sure there are countless episodes, hopefully, uh, not even just in ministry, but in your professional life and things like that, people struggle um, with these things and we don't quite know how to deal with it because in our American context of pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but also in our polarized culture of you're either for me or you're against me, uh, trying to wrestle with being cynical, wanting things to be a certain way, expecting things to be a certain way, especially in a church context, man, it could be so detrimental, not only to how we view the church, but our mental, emotional, spiritual state of health. And, uh, you know, I'm, I have uh, online conversations um, with several people in youth ministry uh, through Facebook and other uh, online venues. And, you know, and unfortunately, it's a common theme that I see where uh, people in ministry feel taken advantage of. They feel like they had the rug pulled out from under them. They feel like now that they see behind the curtain, uh, they almost feel like sometimes the church or the people that they respect and look up to are what Jesus described the Pharisees as, whitewashed tombs. You know, it's all a front. It's a mask. It's a persona. It's a personality. Um, and, you know, uh, as you mentioned with your dad, and the same as with all of us, none of us are perfect people. Uh, the church of Jesus Christ is run and maintained by imperfect people. And so people are disappointed by the church um, because it's run by broken people. But, you know, that's uh, the irony of how God works. He uses the, the foolish to shame the wise. And so many times he has used people who are thought of as insignificant um, or not worthy enough to do incredible things. And you look throughout the history of the church and the evidence of that is everywhere. But I think on a practical note, um, you know, as, as you touched on, man, it can be a hard slap in the face and almost a 
kind of a sit down, ponder and wonder, is this really what I want? Is this really what a life of ministry looks like? Is this as good as it gets? Um, and then also maybe a fear of who can I confide in? Um, where can I take my doubt and frustration? Um, if I'm experiencing this in ministry, how many other people are experiencing this in ministry and what are they doing with it? And, uh, you know, the philosophy of better out than in, um, I think is a healthy one. Unfortunately, though, sometimes when we express our frustration and try and deal with things in a verbal public manner, uh, cue social media, it can come off as very angry and not really helpful, just venting and not wanting to look for redemption and how to solve it and work through it. Um, and that's, you know, I think that's kind of the state of where we find people dealing with it. Uh, how have you seen maybe um, since then, you know, you've been writing and reading about people who, who deal with cynicism and burnout. Um, how would you say people deal with it and react to it, uh, especially in the Christian sphere? That's a great question. I, I think social media is a double-edged sword. I think it has given us the opportunity to have an outlet to express things that's unprecedented in human history. And it's given us an opportunity to not feel alone in certain experiences that people felt lonely in before. You can, as, as mainstream or as weird as you are on whatever topic, you can find a community online. And so, yep. so many times, I think in past eras, people wrestled with feelings of isolation and loneliness because they said, I'm the only one who wrestles with this, deals with this, thinks this, battles this. And now because the world is flat through technology, there's an opportunity to find your people who can affirm the feelings that you wrestle with and the things that you're experiencing. So that's like the positive side, you know, is that you can find some people who you go, okay, I'm not, I'm not weird. I'm not the only one who sees this. I'm not the only one who's dealing with this. There's some sense of affirmation, you know, that gives you a, a sense of freedom uh, with those feelings. The downside is that uh, the most healthy places and the most healthy means for communicating social media uh, aren't the easiest ones. And it's a lot easier to send a tweet out before you can think about it. It's a lot easier to turn on a live uh, social media and vent. It's a lot easier to write a blog and hit publish before you actually reread it. And I think sometimes the temporary feelings that we feel or the intense emotions of a moment um, eclipse our better judgment. And so we need to find ways to express the things that we're feeling in a container that can, in a healthy way, in essence, contain it until we can process through it. And I've had to learn as a verbal processor that social media is not my friend when I'm in the middle of intense emotions. Uh, in some ways, I'm kind of glad that social media was just in its earliest stages when I was going through my most intense cynicism and burnout. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm really grateful that I didn't have some of the tools that I have now uh, because I've, I'm, I'm not sure I, tr I would have trusted myself back then to use them well. And the internet yeah. is a tattoo. I mean, once you post something, it never goes away. 
Mm-hmm. And so I think it's important that we find the people and the environments that we can work through our experiences in a healthy way. And I know we're, we're going to talk about counseling later on, but finding those people and those environments to work through those emotions uh, in a way that actually enables me to stay in it. Because I think that's the thing that I want to encourage people with is that if you're going through burnout and you're going through cynicism, those are not um, death sentences for your ministry. Those are not Mm. disqualifiers for your ministry future. They can be. I mean, I know people who are out of ministry because they got too cynical. I don't know people who are out of ministry because they burned out. Uh, but, but I think the, the, the future that I've experienced is much more the story of Jacob, you know, where I now walk with a limp, you know, I can't tell you my story and I can't lead without dealing with what I've been through. And so it just shapes me now. And I don't have the capacity I once did. Um, I don't have the recklessness that I once did. I don't have the immaturity and hubris that I once did. Um, I now have this scar. I have this limp. That's a part of my story and things I've been through. But I think in some ways I, I'm in a better place to lead and help people because of the hard things that I've been through. And I find that I'm able to reach and connect people that I now at 35 that I wouldn't have at 22, not just because I'm older, but because of what I've been through and how it's shaped me. I speak differently. I care differently. Um, I relate differently. And um, so while I wish I hadn't had to go through the pain, I think that uh, I now have more to offer because of what I've been through and what God has enabled me to, you know, persevere within. Hmm. Yeah, man, I, uh, I know over the last several years, I've really latched onto that theme of uh, if you've been somewhere hard, then man, God can use that in amazing ways. And, you know, someone with a clean shirt and unscathed knees can help someone up who's fallen. But if you have dirty clothes and skinned knees, when you help someone up, uh, you can relate to them in different ways. And um, you know, I think the way that we deal with, um, with, with anything, not just cynicism and burnout, but really any kind of trial or frustration in life, um, uh, you know, I, I think for, for believers, um, we use uh, things like prayer and reading scripture, um, and it's tough to criticize those two spiritual exercises because they are critical and foundational to the life of a believer. But I think um, what I've seen and probably others have seen is that Christians tend to use those two spiritual disciplines, exercises as a blanket approach to completely solve any issue. Now, yes, those things can do that. Um, but I feel like they're almost utilized like a magic pill or a formula. And that can cause us to disregard other elements of what we need to care for our body and soul. You can't have one without the other. We are both body and soul. So we need to be caring for both. Uh, I think this is especially the case for, for leaders who are constantly pouring into others. Because when you're constantly pouring into others, you need to be refilling your own cup. You need to take joy and solace in what the Lord has for you or else you're pouring out of your own effort and that goes really quickly. And then you're just trying to find something to give people because you're on empty yourself. 
Um, so Scott, how did you deal with the cynicism and burnout that you experienced? Uh, and while you were doing that, what were some things that you found were helpful and things that were not helpful? Well, I think the first thing that was helpful is acknowledging where I was and recognizing the impact that it had on me and it had on other people. There was a gentleman in um, one of the ministries I was leading who came to me and he just, you know, flat out said over coffee one day, Scott, where's the hope? He said, I, I am somebody who has battled depression. I've had five or six friends commit suicide in the last two years. And as I listen to you, you know, you're really good at poking holes in everything that's wrong. But I don't come to hear about what's wrong. I come to hear hope. So where's the hope? And so I began to start listening back through the recordings of my teaching. Um, we were podcasting really early on in the era of podcasting. Going back and reading the, the blogs that I was writing, because I've been blogging since 2008. And... I just realized, you know, I am, I'm a voice of cynicism. I'm really good at tearing down what's broken, but I'm not building up what's good. You know, I'm pointing out all the problems, but I'm not offering solutions. And, um, and so I just, I realized that that voice and that toxicity in me was bleeding out on other people. And so I had to first acknowledge where I was and then face the stakes that if I didn't get healthy because of the influence that I had by that point, I was not only going to destroy my future in ministry, but I was going to hurt the people who were looking to me and my cynicism could become contagious to them. My toxicity could become contagious to them. And so I think you have to recognize not only where you are, but recognize the stakes if you don't change the danger if you don't deal with it. And so that was the beginning of a long process of healing. Uh, some of that was beginning to pay as much attention as my own, to my own refilling and refueling as I was pouring out. You know, the, the mantra, Sunday's always coming, is true. You know, if it's Wednesday, if you're doing student programming, you know, there's always a retreat, there's always a camp, there's always an event. And if you just live on that hamster wheel, you will certainly burn out. And if you're not paying much attention to what you're pouring into yourself as what you're pouring out, you'll burn out. And that's why I think burnout is as much about a lack of attention to our own souls as it is an unhealthy pace. So sometimes yeah, the, the, the pace is never going to change. I mean, it's not like you're going to be able to go to, hey, we're just going to meet as a youth group once a month. You know, or, or, hey, we're not really going to offer you the retreat and camp that you need because we need, need to go off and just kind of be alone with Jesus. You know, like we, we, we can't we can't punt our calling to serve other people because we want to just refuel ourselves. You know, there are places yeah. to step away. I mean, there's 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 sure. a place for sabbatical. There's a place for Sabbath. But but we've been called to serve. And so we've got to figure out how do I re replenish myself in a sustainable way? How do I structure my ministry in a sustainable way where I can do this for the long haul? And so that kind of became yeah. what I began to realize. Um, Wayne Cordero's book, Leading on Empty, was a huge help during that time. He talked about his own experience with burnout. And that was one of the few things I discovered in that period that was out there. It was like in the early 2010s. And, and so I started realizing, okay, I have to start building some practices in. And as you said, yeah, you do need to read scripture and prayer and pray, but it's how you do that. 
And the way that I had been reading scripture in seminary was not helpful to renew my soul. You know, the way, the the way, the way that I was taught to pray that my dad kind of calls the organ recital, you know, where we list off everybody's (laughs) organs and problems that are, you know, the hospitalizations and stuff, (laughs) you know, that's not helpful. You know, I I had to learn some ways of praying and reading scripture that led me into silence and solitude and stillness and listening and slowing that, that really brought me to a place where I felt replenished on the other side. So that, that's when I started practicing Lectio Divina. That's when I started walking labyrinths. That's when I started journaling. That's when I stopped trying to necessarily finish the Bible reading plan. And I started saying, okay, it's, it's not about finishing. It's about getting out of it what I want to get out of it. And so sometimes speed is not important uh, to the, to the diminishment of, of really hearing, listening, marinating, meditating. So I started, I started adjusting the way that I engaged scripture and, uh, prayer so that it was actually refueling. Um, and then, and then when it came to the, the deeper stuff, I had to face the fact that I had moved into a posture towards God where I felt like I had to perform for his love. Mm. I felt like, I felt like I had to perform in ministry to get affirmation and respect from people. And I felt like I had to perform to be okay with God. Some of that is, I think a a function of my personality. I am driven. I am ambitious. I didn't know about the Enneagram back then, but I'm an Enneagram three. So all of those things when, when mixed with literally standing on a platform or a stage under bright lights at times on preaching on TV, uh, we were on TV in Phoenix at the church I was at, you know, all of those things, you know, were, were toxic to my soul when I didn't realize that God loved me for who I am, not what I did. So I finally, Mm. I finally, my burnout finally came to fruition in the summer of 2012. And I, was faced with the decision of closing a ministry that I was leading because we had seen the fruit of our bad decisions over a number of years and there was no more future for it. And uh, I didn't know what to do and I broke down in a meeting. I started crying because I didn't know what to do with the crossroads we were at and we literally had a room split in half of people who were on different sides of this disagreement and they all looked to me for what to do and I just said, I don't know. I have no vision. And I started crying and God bless those people. They all came around me and laid hands on me and prayed for me and didn't judge me. But the next day I went to, you know, a retreat and just felt like God said, you know, Scott, you, you got to stop doing this to earn something that you already have. You know, I'm a big reader. I've, I've been dropping books this whole podcast. But Brennan Manning's book, Ragamuffin Gospel, came off my shelf during that time and really reminded me that I'm the beloved that uh, before I did anything for God Romans 5 says Jesus demonstrated his love for me by dying for me and there was nothing I could do to earn it or deserve it more than I already had it and and really marinating in that truth began the long hard work of not only healing my heart but rebuilding rhythms that would enable me to do this for the rest of my life so that's a long story, you know, and, there, and there's more there, but um, I think it's, 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 it's both untrue that you just need to read the Bible and pray, 
but it's I would say it's a uh, that's that's like a. a it, it seems like it's true, but it isn't the full story. You know, I would yeah. say. Yeah. You know, yeah, I don't, I, I don't, um, I don't ever want to say to people, hey, don't read the Bible, don't pray. That, that's not what I'm saying. But, <laughs> no, but you, yeah, of what, course. What you, we... what you may find is that the way that you read the Bible and prayed when you first became a Christian or when you were a kid no longer gives you the life when you end up in a different season. And so you have to start relating to those things in different ways. So, Yeah, man. Yeah, that's well said. And uh, I, I can relate because... Uh, you know, not not only scripture, but just for for me, it was reading uh, in general. Um, after I finished seminary, I think my last semester of seminary, and I even added a whole nother year because my program was supposed to be a two year program, but I stretched it into three because I felt like I was drinking from a fire hose and I felt overwhelmed and, uh, you know, uh, I wasn't running a, a ministry, but everything that I was involved in, I mean, I was a junior high director. I was also working at a doctor's office. I was a part of four small groups and leading three of them. Jeff, I was doing all Jeff, that there's, while there's a word for I was that, a Jeff. Yeah. And there's I was a word doing for that. Uh, <laughs> and the word is stupid. That's the word yeah. for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was doing all that while I was a full-time seminary student. Oh, man. And uh, I, yeah, I started realizing when I was forgetting simple words and phrases and just felt foggy in my mind that I, I can't do this. And so I dropped one of the jobs and I dropped at least two small groups and I could breathe again. <laughs> um, but... Man, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier, uh, well, when we were talking uh, offline, uh, we mentioned like how, how far we live from churches and you used to have a close commute and, and now you don't. And I didn't have a far commute uh, when I lived in our apartment, but now that we moved, I definitely have a close one. And, you know, being the yes man or saying, hey, it's convenient for you, for you to do this and so go ahead and do it. And from what I've seen in conversations with youth workers, uh, so much of the burnout or feeling at least exhausted comes from, well, this is a good thing and someone needs to do it and so I'll do it. Oh, you need that to happen? Okay, I'll do it. Well, I need to love and serve others, so I'm going to do this. And it's not like the things that we're doing are terrible uh, on their own, but if we are body and soul and we're called to uh, love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We should use that mind that he gave us and realize that our strength, yes, it comes from him, but also comes from sleeping and eating food and taking a break and uh, being in silence. I remember uh, in, in college, those exercises that you mentioned, Lectio Divina, uh, just silence and solitude on their own. Uh, just spend five minutes in silence and it'll feel like an hour. Um, and having to readjust how I engage with God, how I refilled my spiritual tank um, and not just made it about performance, I fell into the same hole. Uh, in fact, uh, this past Sunday, I was part of our sermon discussion. So uh, in uh, our online services, we're making most of the sermons a uh, dialogue between several of our staff members uh, to make it kind of more engaging. And I mentioned um, something that 
uh, comes up in Ragamuffin Gospel for sure as grace. And I think when our faith is rooted in performance, we tend to see the grace of Christ as a consolation prize for our failure. We don't recognize it for the treasure that it is and how amazing it is that we have it. And instead, when we root our faith in presence, just being present with him, seeking time with him alone and the realization that we are loved and what we have access to is not of our own performance, is not of our own brains or degrees of seminary. It's because we're made in the image of God and we were bought and ransomed at the price of Jesus Christ on the cross. And he rose again that we might have new life. And that new life starts now, not when he comes back. And so if we're trying to live that abundant life Jesus talked about, it doesn't mean do as many good things as you can. Uh, we need to care for ourselves. And in doing that, even caring for ourselves well can be an awesome witness for people, not just a Bible study that, that we lead. Um, and I think that's something I've learned personally uh, especially uh, in relating to uh, depression and anxiety. Um, you know, over the last, uh, not this past year really, but uh, for a period of like 18 months or two years, uh, I knew six or seven people that, that died, and I knew them all in a ministry context. Uh, uh, it was some youth dads. Um, one of my leaders was also one of those youth dads. Um, someone I went to high school with who was studying at seminary in California, all, all these things. Uh, and I was trying to fill my calendar and fill my self-worth with, well, look at all these things I'm doing. And then my first class of seniors graduated. That's the first class that started in youth ministry when I got hired. And they were a big class. Um, and with them being gone, changed a lot of things. And it made me think, Am I even supposed to be doing this? Am I doing it well? Can I only do it if I have the right students um, in my ministry? And man, it's, it's hard. It's really hard. And so uh, I think just even what, what we're talking about, uh, at the very least, people can know they're not alone. And it's not a unique feeling to say, well, maybe I'm just not enough because I can't do 10 great things. I can only do seven. Man, even if you only do one, that can be something way more powerful than the seven. You don't know that because uh, you don't know who you're affecting and they're, they're watching you and seeing how you care for yourself and being able to be of sound mind and rest, take care of your family, focus on them more as your first ministry, all kinds of things. Um, yeah, it's easy to be taken advantage of even if it's ourselves uh, who, are, who are doing it just to convince ourselves that no, we're doing God's work and it's worth it. But it's not worth it if we crash and burn and we don't want anything to do with it anymore because we're just burned out. You know, Jeff, um, I, 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 think, I, th I think you're hitting on something there that when, when we're in a season of, of cynicism, we, we move into a posture where we think the problem is an external problem. Yeah. You know, we spend all of our time looking out the proverbial window at everyone else and everything else. And we think if I could just fix and change all those things, if everybody would sit down at my feet and listen to me, I have all yeah. the answers and I could solve all the world's problems. But, but the truth is far more complex than that. 
Mm-hmm. And, and the solution is far more complex than that. And I think for me, what started happening on the other side of burnout and cynicism is I tried to, and I'm not perfect at this. If my staff was on the call, if my, if my wife was on this podcast, she would tell you how often I fail at this. But, but my goal is to spend as much time looking in the mirror as I look out the window. It's, mm. it's as much going, okay, what in this problem is me? And mm. what in this problem is others? Because the, the things you just described, the lack of boundaries, the inability to say no, the insecurity that motivates ministry, and in some ways the grandiosity that, that we would, we would, you know, grandiosity is a word that my counselor has introduced to my vocabulary and I hate him for it and I love him for it at the same time. <laughs> because I've begun to realize that many times behind my motivation is, is a grandiosity in my mind and my spirit that is motivating my ministry where I think I'm the only one who can say yes to or meet a need. I'm the only one who can do something well. I'm the only one who can answer a phone call or a request. And that kind of grandiosity, that kind of ego will put us all in burnout no matter how strong we are. And what it does is it prevents other people from having the gift of being able to meet somebody's needs. And if we're always saying yes to things, uh, I'm in a hazard a guess that we're not raising up leaders, that we're not actually being effective at everything we're doing because we're doing so much, we can't be effective at it all. And we're not even really listening to God anymore. We're just trying to listen to the needs of people and meet the needs they think they have. And so I think that the thing I discovered through my own journey with burnout and cynicism is I need to look in the mirror as much as I need to look out the window. And many of the much of the pain that I experienced was not a result of being in a toxic church. It was my own incomplete spiritual formation and sin that produced those experiences in me. And I couldn't fix all those people who were broken, but I certainly could submit to the work God wanted to do in me and let him finish that. And, and that's, that's, that's been the greatest source of change. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, you mentioned something that, uh, I want to close with, uh, which is counseling. Um, you know, the church has, uh, had a stigma with mental health and luckily that's fading, but, uh, many people, uh, wrestle alone in silence with all kinds of things. And, um, you know, counseling, I think, I know my wife said it at one point, and I totally agree. I think every person on earth in some way could benefit from counseling. And we tend to see it, maybe as we see it with other things, as weakness, as giving up, as, well, I'm not strong enough to do it on my own. Uh, Newsflash, Christians, we should realize that we're not strong enough to do it on our own. That's why we surrender to Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, But yet we still want to keep fighting and thinking that, well, no, as long as I do all these things, then I'm a good Christian. I think Jesus said something like, good, you don't know what good is. Only the Father knows what's good. And yes, scripture and prayer are essential, and we need to be in community and have trusted 
relationships. But man, counseling as a resource, at least for me, has opened my eyes to a lot of things. And Scott, even that one thing that you mentioned, it sounds like uh, counseling is a great thing for people to consider, even if they don't think uh, they're being cynical or headed toward burnout, they might realize that they are uh, if they have some professional outside opinions and observations. Um, so what would you say for people who are on the fence of doing counseling or admitting that they need help or saying, you know, I think I'm still doing a lot of good stuff and it's not too much. I'm, I'm able to sleep at home. And so I think I'm okay. What would you say to people who are on the fence or not really sure if counseling is for them? To a person, almost everyone I've met who's gone to counseling says the exact same thing. I wish I would have gone sooner. Yeah. And that consistent experience shows me that most of us are afraid. We're afraid of what it would mean for us to go. We're afraid of an experience where we would feel exposed or out of control. We're afraid that we would learn something or see something that is beyond what we could handle. And I think there's an incredible gift on the other side of that conversation with a counselor that we're afraid of. Mm. And that gift is the, the person that your students, your family, your friends deserve to have in you. And you will not become that person on your own. Mm. And I know that I spent a long time in a church where the belief was you went to counseling when things were blowing up, when the wheels were falling off. And as a last resort to save your marriage or save your ministry. And because of that, I said, well, I'm not in that place. I also didn't know of any good counselors that I trusted. And so I waited a long time. I, I went through that whole experience with burnout and cynicism without any help. And as a result, it took longer and I wrecked people's lives and I hurt people that didn't have to be hurt until I got to Prescott and I found a couple whose whole ministry is to ministry leaders. And I was in a church where uh, it was not a stigma to go to be a counselor. And I was the lead pastor and I just made it my mission that I was going to be painfully honest with the church. And so when I moved here, I had severe anxiety and panic attacks in the midst of the move. And about four months later, I was preaching through Philippians and I came to Philippians four about do not be anxious about anything. And so I got up in front of the church, terrified. I told my story. Mm. And about a year later, I found this couple. And so I've been in counseling for over two years and if I had known what this would mean to my ministry, to my writing, to my marriage, to my parenting, to my leadership, uh, I think I would have worked harder to overcome the stigma and find somebody faster. So it is, a, it is an investment. It, it costs money. 
Um, it is emotionally expensive and it can be financially expensive. But it's not as expensive as divorce. It's not as expensive as a hospitalization from burnout. It's not as expensive as blowing up your ministry or blowing up your church. And if you think that you are above doing those things, you need to look in the mirror. Mm. And I, I think what my counselor has done is he has shown a mirror and held the space for me to see the things in me that I couldn't see on my own. And he has nudged me and guided me to deal with the things I would not have gotten to on my own. And those are the things that I think were holding me back from experiencing John 10, 10, where Jesus says, I came to give them life and life abundantly. And I just wasn't experiencing that. And I mm -hmm. think that I am much more on my way to that than um, I was two, two and a half years ago. So, so I'd encourage people, uh, if you're in a church where there's a stigma, um, you know, uh, don't sacrifice the future of your life with Christ and your family on the altar of that church. And don't allow that church's limitations to hold you back to, from what Christ made possible for you. Go get the help you need. And if you yeah. don't have the help financially, prayerfully seek people out in your life who you know have the resources and care about you and ask them for help to be able to get it. Um, you know, go to your pastor and ask for, you know, that to be in the next year's budget. But, um, you know, it's, it, it's an invaluable, an invaluable gift to become the person God made you to be. And I think for many of us, we won't become it without counseling. So. Yeah, absolutely, man. I totally agree. Um, and you know, it's, it's funny, uh, earlier I mentioned that, um, interaction, um, about hope. Uh, it may, I think it was on Twitter a while back, but, uh, there was a challenge where it was like name something about someone that, you know, or whatever. But, uh, even without that, if I had one word to describe you, it's always been hope. Um, you have inspired me and I know inspired so many others uh, with the message of hope and what it means for us in this life now and uh, how it can change everything in our lives and the lives of those that know us and interact with us. And, you know, hope is powerful. Um, and it's, yeah, it's something that I've always uh, has felt that it's emanated from you. So I appreciate that. And, uh, man, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I hope we can have you back in the future. This was a great conversation. Uh, even if you just come back and we share some funny stories of our hijinks, uh, that would be great. But, uh, man, Scott, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, as he mentioned, uh, in his intro, uh, he has a website, uh, and here in a second, I will list those resources for you. Uh, if you guys are looking for some great resources. Scott has developed many, and I think they would be a blessing to you. But Scott, thanks for being here, man. Thanks, Jeff. It's been fun. That concludes today's podcast episode. Thanks again to Scott for joining me. His website is scottsavagelive.com. You can find the resources he has developed on there, as well as a course he developed on forgiveness. Uh, thanks again for listening. I hope you can share this podcast. If 
you haven't already, please subscribe to it on Spotify or Podbean. Uh, I am getting input from several of you on content for future episodes, so please keep those ideas coming. And I hope this podcast can continue to be beneficial for you. So, until next time, adios.